you open up your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, in the New Testament. Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10. This morning, uh, you'll, you may notice, because Exodus is on the front cover, that we're going to take a short detour away from the book of Exodus. Since we're having our annual congregational meeting today, and for those of you who maybe have been out of town, we are having our annual congregational meeting to vote on our budget and new council representatives between services, so immediately after this service, before the second service. Since we're having that today, I thought it would be a good time to briefly reflect on where we've been, and more importantly, to look ahead to where God is leading us as a community. I normally tend to do this, or at least my practice has been these uh, couple, first couple of years I've been here, to do it at a barbecue after the second service, but as much as, as many of you have been able to come, many of you have not been able to come, and so I thought it would be better to have more than less being able to hear what I want to share with you this morning. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually build off of last week's look at the meaning and purpose of the tabernacle. Last week, we came to understand that in Jesus Christ, we are God's new and everlasting building project. We are the tabernacle. And I suggested to you, if you remember, at the end of the sermon, that the crucial question that emerges from this revelation is this. What are we building together? But my brothers and sisters in Christ, the truth is, that's the wrong question. If, as the body of Christ, we are, as the scriptures proclaim, a temple not made with human hands, but by the Spirit of God, then the right question is not what are we building together, but what is the Lord building among and through us as grace? Who are we becoming what have we to offer to each other and to the larger community we serve? In order to answer these questions, I'd like us to look at the 10th chapter in the letter to the Hebrews. And we, you'll find that we're going to join the author in the middle of making an important point about Christian community. He's been wrestling with the very question that we started with this morning. And it's through the answers, his answers to this question, what is the Lord building among and through us, that I will present the vision of what God is up to at grace, of where God is calling us to go and be as grace. But first, let us hear the word of the Lord from the, book, the letter to the Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in many ways, interestingly, the author of this letter picks up right where we left off last week. If you were here, you recall we toured the tabernacle. We considered the building of it, which would later lead to the temple. And the therefore that begins the earlier, the therefore in, that we read in Scripture here in Hebrews is actually um, picking up or summarizing the author's earlier argument. 
His reference to the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, resonates as we looked at, at that in the construction of the tabernacle. And you'll remember, the Holy of Holies, there were these continued segments to the tabernacle and later the temple of, of an limited entry. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and only one time during the year. But the author here is summarizing an earlier argument that thanks to Jesus Christ, we have an all-access pass into God's presence. Not one day out of the year, not just one person, but all of us in Christ have access into God's presence. And you remember we talked about this idea of holiness last week, and I tried to convey to you that holiness from a biblical standpoint is not this idea that somehow we are undesirable to God, that we are just scum, but more that we are out of our depth when it comes to God, the perfection of God. But yet the writer to this, of this letter proclaims that even though we are still out of our depth when it comes to the holiness of this God, in and through Christ, we are still able to swim in the full waters of God's holiness. We are still out of our depth in comparison to this God. But in Christ, we are able to swim in the full waters of God's holiness. And we're not only to do that, but the author says we're able to swim with sincerity, in confidence, without reservation. We are no longer restricted. We are no longer afraid. And where the writer goes from here how we are to build on this foundation, which he says in just a few verses. How we are to live and act together out of this reality is what I'd like us to focus on this morning. He writes, Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess in Him who is faithful. Beloved, you hold on to hope by sharing it, by pointing to it, by living it out. He uses the word unswervingly. The adverb, hold on to it unswervingly. Because life moves fast. Life moves fast. Lots of things come at us. We all experience this. We get busy. We get distracted. We lose track of time. We lose track of days. How many of us have said to one person or another, or have made mental notes in our mind, I'm going to do this. Let's get together. And days pass, weeks pass, months pass, and we say, boy, we really have to do this. We really have to get together. Life moves fast. We can get distracted. If you don't keep your hands on the things that are important, if you don't focus on it, keep it in front of you, you lose it. Therefore, we are encouraged to hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess in Him. Now, this may not be where you're going, but it's where I'm going and how I hear these words. What are we holding on to? The hope we profess. And in essence, what the writer of this letter is calling us to be, reminding us we are to be, is that we are called to be evangelistic and missional. We exist, as we know. We hear it all the time, and we should. We exist, you and I, for those on the outside, for those on the fringe. But it's not one-sided. When you hear we're called to be evangelistic and missional, many of us will nod our heads yes, but many of us, if we're really honest, perceive it as a chore. Perceive it as something that we just don't feel like we can do. Leave it to the professionals. Leave it to the spiritually gifted evangelists and missionaries. And yet the author doesn't make that distinction. And we need to understand that this call to be evangelistic and missional is not one-sided. It's not transactional. It's not a chore. We are called to those on the outside, those on the fringe, but here it is, beloved. We need them as much as they need us. Our sensitivity to their absence is what feeds our faith. It's what we hold on to. When the author said, says, hold on unswervingly to the faith we profess, the tangible reality of that is holding on to those who are not here. 
to those on the outside, those on the fringe. Our sensitivity to their absence is what feeds our faith. And we're not holding on to an idea. We're holding on, as the writer puts it, to him. In him, we're holding on to a relationship. My brothers and sisters in Christ, evangelism isn't part of being a Christian. It's part of what it means to continue to be in Christ. Bringing others to Christ, if you will, brings us closer to Jesus. Bringing others to Christ brings us closer to Jesus. Think about it. Why is it that these missional opportunities that any of us have ever partaken in our lives, big or small, we go for the sake of those we're called to, and yet we come away almost feeling somewhat ashamed or guilty because we walk away more blessed. We walk away closer to Christ. God's worked through us, and yet somehow something happened that we didn't expect. We got closer to Jesus. When we share our faith in Christ, when we share our testimony, we think we're doing it for the benefit of the other person. And God is working through that. And yet, when we actually do it, is it not so that we are closer to Christ? That something awakens in us that's been asleep for a long time when we reach out to others. When we engage him, when we engage Christ, we hold on to hope, as the writer calls us to. When we reach out to others, we don't let go of the hope that we have in Christ. And notice that holding and professing go together. It's not just what we say, it's what we do. And it's not just what we do, it's what we say. Both go together. Holding and professing are inseparable. A way to put this in terms of the church is we are commissioned not just to be welcoming, friendly, and lovely. Friendly, welcoming, and loving. Many people, that's how they want the church to be described. We want to be a welcoming church. We want to be a loving church. We want to be a friendly church. And amen to that. But if we are simply welcoming, loving, and friendly at the absence of pointing others to Christ, then we are just another option in the community. We're generic. Starbucks is welcoming, friendly, and loving. I've got some good relationships there with my baristas. I do. They know my coffee. They say hi to me all the time. They ask me about my life. It's welcoming, friendly, and loving. And it's intended to be that way. Sit, stay a while. Beloved, we are called to be welcoming, loving, and friendly. But we are called to be all of those things in the spirit of pointing, telling, teaching others about Jesus and his kingdom. If salvation in Christ and transformation through the kingdom aren't our objectives, then we are just another social, communal option among many. So how do we live this out? How does this relate to where we're going as grace? We have got to be, and we are going to be, because this is who we were created to be, we are going to be more intentionally evangelistic and missional. Now, I'm not suggesting we haven't been practicing evangelism or missions, but I'm saying we are going to recommit to those as being the centerpiece of who we are as a church. And one of the ways that we're going to live this out at Grace that's going to be coming in the fall is the relaunch of the Alpha Course. Now, many of you have been through the Alpha Course. Some of you have not. Some of you have never heard of the Alpha Course. And the Alpha Course is a tool. It's a good one to live into the spirit of evangelism and being missional. If you're not familiar with the Alpha Course, it's an opportunity to learn about the basics of the Christian faith, but it's done in a non-threatening way. It's not done by cramming truth down people's throats. It's, down, it's done by allowing people to ask their questions, allowing people to ask their questions, and through teaching, through sharing with them the faith, through their questions, and through building relationships, that they come 
to their own decision, to that place where they wrestle with the reality of Christ and the kingdom. And beloved, in the fall, that's going to be our focus on Wednesdays. With the exception of Advent and Lent, which I'll talk about in a little bit, that is going to be, along with child care, children's programs, and junior high, the only thing happening here on Wednesdays. Because if we have other things going on on Wednesdays, then we're off, away for, get away from that evangelistic focus. And we've got to be about evangelism. And what my encouragement to you, what my invitation is, and some of you I've already spoken to, if this is where you're called to serve, I invite you to be a part of the team to bring Alpha here at Grace. But I don't want you to think, well, that's not my bag. Everyone I want in this church to be committed to Alpha. Not for the sake of Alpha, but for the sake of evangelism. Because the Alpha course, and it's not to say it's the end-all, be-all, provides a place in the midst of your relationships, the people you know, to have some place to bring them. And not just to drop them off. So if you're a part of the team, great. But if you're not, what I ask you to do is bring someone and go with them through the Alpha course. Go with them and engage their questions. Go to a place where you don't have, have to have all the answers. You don't have to prepare the meal. You don't even have to prepare the talks. You simply have to go alongside someone as they wrestle with the faith, the, the Jesus that you believe in, the kingdom that you're a part of. That's going to be our focus. And I'm going to encourage you to bring someone we're going to do two courses. I'm going to encourage you to be praying for those who are a part of the Alpha course, and everyone can participate in that. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have someone to bring right away, to bring a meal, to help with the cooking, the meal that we provide, the hospitality, to simply let other people know that it's there. And I'm going to encourage you, if you've never been, and if you're feeling as though you're a little rusty in your own understanding of the faith, to consider yourself to go. Because Alpha is for the skeptics, the people on the outside and on the fringe, but let me tell you, it's also a powerful renewal movement in the church, and it has been in the history of grace. Because sometimes when you sit with people who are on the outside and on the fringe, here it is again, you draw closer to Jesus because their questions, their doubts, actually awaken some things that you haven't wrestled with in a long, long time. That's one way we're going to live this out at Grace, but how, how we're also going to continue to build on being evangelistic and missional are opportunities that are already here. We have an incredible partnership with an orphanage in Mexico, Miracle Ranch. And yet, if I were to do it in terms of percentages, and it's not just about numbers, it is the number of people within the community of grace who have participated in this partnership is surprisingly small. Now, you've supported in terms of giving, food and clothes, but I mean going down there and seeing what we're partnering with, who we're partnering with. Quarterly, these trips exist, one day a Saturday, and again, it's an opportunity for us to hold on to that hope. Habitat for Humanity. Another ministry here that many are involved in, but many have not engaged in. And we have two builds that are coming up, August 13th and October 1st. Mark them down. If you're like me and you, you hit your thumb rather than a nail with a hammer, we can still use you. God can still use you. And not only will God use you, but God will bless you. Orange County Care Connections. We have an incredible ministry at our church where we minister to seniors in our community, where we minister to those who are struggling in the midst of aging in our community. And it's not just for specialists. Volunteers are needed. Love, support is needed. We have a great ministry to the, the needy and homeless in our community every Sunday. And that ministry is growing. We have people who are coming into our church through that ministry who are looking to be baptized. Who are looking to go through Alpha. Who are coming on Wednesdays and worshiping with our seniors. Who want to become a part of our community. And that ministry that began with a men's group following the Spirit of God is growing and now we're trying to streamline it and make it easier so that more people can participate. More people can participate so that we can minister to those that God is bringing to us, but also so that you can be ministered to through God, who God is bringing to us. 
I'm going to go on. We have an incredible school. Pastor Paul Johnson, years ago, followed the leading of the Spirit of God, and that leading and that obedience of this community has led to two preschools, an elementary and a middle school. And it's not about whether your kids go to that school or not. We don't have to look far for people to be evangelistic to, to be missional to. There are so many families in our schools that are not connected to any church that in the world in which we live, in which families are spread out, are looking for grandparents to adopt them, are looking for parents to help them as they're raising their children. And I'm not saying it's easy, but the opportunities are there for us to reach out. The school is a mission field for us. It's a place where we can point to the Jesus we know. And one last one. Our children and youth ministries are evangelistic opportunities and missional opportunities because if you don't know this, if you haven't caught on, if you haven't heard, children's ministry and youth ministry isn't what it used to be long ago. It used to be that parents would come to the church and bring their kids but in our children and youth ministries, by and large, not all, but many, it's the youth that are coming and trying to bring their parents. Bugging their parents to come, getting dropped off, but the parents aren't here. We have an incredible opportunity to reach out to parents of children, of youth, who are not aware of Jesus and the kingdom. Beloved, it's all there. We don't have to create anything here at Grace. We just have to utilize what the Holy Spirit has given us. And this next year, I hope that we will engage that reality of being evangelistic and missional and making that not just a part of what we do, but the heart of what we are about as Grace. The author goes on, let us hold on to hope, but let us consider one another. Notice the repeated emphasis in this last part of the, this section of the letter on let us. There's no let you, let me, let I, that wouldn't be grammatically correct. Let us. The emphasis on the plural. Because, beloved, once again, Scripture is reminding us that none of us are islands. We are our brother's keeper. Again and again, we are reminded we are our brother and sister's keeper. The empowerment of Christ in our midst brings us together. The empowerment of Jesus brings us together. And, and another way to think about this is Jesus is present in our lives, not when we're alone. Jesus is most fully present in our lives when we are together. Do you get that? That's why there are no Lone Ranger Christians. That's why it doesn't work. Jesus is fully present when we are together, not when we are alone. Our gathering is God's people, the writer wants us to understand, should be characterized by what we contribute to the well-being of each other, not what we can personally gain. That's what makes our community different when we consider one another. Consider one another. What does this mean to consider one another? Earlier in the letter, the writer uses these words in reference to Jesus. The writer talks about considering Jesus. And this, this, if you were to go and look at that in chapter 3, considering Jesus embodies this idea to look at, to think about, to study, to let your mind be occupied with him. In other words, be in relationship with the person of Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus. It's not enough to like the idea of Jesus. Will you consider Jesus? Will you engage him in a relationship? And so if we apply that to considering each other, it's not just to like the idea of being a community. It's for us to consider each other, to take a lively interest in one another's lives. We're not to be superficial, beloved. Other places we could be superficial. We're not to engage in pleasantries. When we consider each other, we get real. We notice each other. We listen to each other. We engage each other because it's not just about us. It's about 
all of us together. And so when we realize that it's about all of us together, we take seriously the impact that our presence has on each other. The difference that we make to each other. Another way of understanding this that's repeated beyond the letter to the Hebrews is that the biblical model of community, of being the body of Christ, means worshiping and working together more than we are divided from each other. It's more about the togetherness than it is about the division. We exist in a world where every other place we're aware that we have different experiences, different talents. But in the church, we are implored again and again that these differences should not be a wall of division. But instead, we're reoriented when we come into this place to see these diverse gifts as a means of our gratitude, as a means of coming together. And beloved, here at Grace... This idea of not being divided by our differences but being unified by them also includes our generational status and preferences. We have a long and great history of being a multi-generational church. And I look around and I see many generations represented. But in Christ, if we are being who we're called to be, we must be intergenerational. And what that means is that while we are to respect our diversity... That we're not the same in our age, our perspective, where we come from, what we like. Our diversity in those things can never come before our unity in Jesus Christ. Rather than allowing our experiences, our talents, and our generational differences to become a cause of division, we are called to allow the Spirit working in and through us to foster our unity. And that happens by us serving together. By us serving each other, considering one another. How do we live that out at grace? Oh boy. (laughs) How do we live that out at grace? Well, let me tell you conventional church logic. Just for a second. Just so you can appreciate my struggle. Conventional church logic when you come into a multi-generational church. And I'm not telling you anything you cannot find in a lot of church growth books or talk to a lot of pastors. Conventional church logic when you come into a church like this is simple. Okay. You know what? you got to build for the future, and the future is young people, but you got older people, and they give. Younger people don't. So you don't want to tick off the older people. And you know they don't like to change. They like it the way they like it. And those younger people, boy, you got to chase them down because they're really, really busy. So here's what you do. You take your older people, give them what they want. Give them what they want. Don't change anything. Just give them what they want. Keep them happy. Mind you, keep them happy, but marginalize them. Put them where that you need to, give them what they want over there, but meanwhile you focus on the growth, which is the younger people. And eventually, the older people who, even though they're getting everything they want, who still complain, they're going to die out. I'm not, tell- hey, I'm not telling you something that's not out there. And the younger people will go- get bigger. There'll be more younger people. And then the next thing you know, if the older people haven't died out, there's more of us than there are of you. Take it or leave it. I refuse. In my three years here, I refuse, though it's tempting. Boy, it's tempting. Makes things easier. You get what you want. For those of you who represent that generation and the younger generation, get what they want. But that's not a biblical model of community. The biblical model of community is not that we're divided, it's that we're unified. The biblical model of community is that when people walk in here, they don't go, boy, this looks like everything else I see out in the world. And that is why here at Grace... For the last three years, and we're going to continue, we are not going to be divided. We are going to collaborate together. 
And that means we have to, together, between our generational differences, our differences in gifts and talents, we've got to find that fine, delicate balance, and you've heard this before, between heritage and adaptation. It's, it's about pulling out the best of our past into the reality of our present. Hear that again. It's about pulling the best of our past into the reality of our present. But what that means across the spectrum of generations is that it cannot be either of these extremes. On the one hand, we can't have this attitude where there's no openness to change. Well, that's not the way we do it around here. We've always done it this way. It can't be that extreme, but it can't be on the other extreme, which is, I'm just too busy. Older, younger people, middle people, we've got to come together. We've got to be willing to change, and we've got to be willing to commit to each other. And how we're going to live that out at Grace, you're going to notice this year, and some of you may already have noticed, we're not doing vacation Bible school. Because coming together in this way means that we have to look at things differently. We hold on to the best of our past, but we're also willing to change to be in a way that will bring us together. We're not doing vacation Bible school, and there's a lot more I could say to you, because vacation Bible school came from a great idea, but what it's become in our day and age is free childcare. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's free childcare. People call up churches and book their entire summer for their kids at every church that's doing VBS. And at the end of the day, yes, we are sharing the gospel with kids, but what difference does that really make, and how do we really get those kids and those families back in the church? And actually, if you look at the numbers, most of the people who go to Vacation Bible Camp, camp excuse me, go to another church already. We're not reaching the people who are not churched. We're simply providing child care for those who are already a part of the church or on the fringe. So instead of Vacation Bible School this year, we have what we're calling a staycation, a family fiesta. And we're trying to walk that space where we're, we're bringing together all the generations. Notice that instead of a full week, we have a weekend. And instead of just dealing with one age group, all age groups are a part of it, not just select groups. July 22nd and 23rd, we are going to come together as adults and as children, all ages, to worship together, and then we will divide as children will go and learn and adults will have some time, but then we're going to come back together. And there's multiple points of entry for us here. You don't have to be a part of the whole weekend. There's a family movie night. There's a pancake breakfast on Saturday morning. There's an all-church picnic Saturday afternoon. The whole point of this is to point people to Christ, but in the midst of pointing people to Christ, being evangelistic and missional, to build deeper community, to build relationships that last. I invite you, wherever you stand, however old or young you are, to be a part of it, because that's what it's designed for, for us to come together as a community and to bring those on the outside into our community. Other opportunities for us to consider one another besides this staycation is between these two worship services, contrary to the rumors that are out there, it is not my master plan to make both services the same. So whoever's saying that, please stop. Here is my master plan, and it's not my master plan, it's the Spirit's master plan. We have different worship styles, and that's okay. But we have got to find in the midst of our different worship styles points of continuity and collaboration in the midst of our worship on Sunday. And what I'm committed to is bringing our services together where it makes sense, where it fits. And from the feedback I've gotten from some of you, you appreciate that. You don't want to be isolated from each other. We're not two services, even in the midst of our styles. We're one service, worshiping Christ together. And we have got to continue to consider each other and hold on to each other and being a part of that. The other thing you'll notice is that this last year, every Wednesday we were coming together, but to try to, again, rather than have hit or miss with people being a part of it and recognizing 
the, the desire for all of us to come together, but yet our younger families, younger couples who are busy, Alpha will be on Wednesdays. But Advent, Lent, will be opportunities where the entire church can come together. And we're going to re-envision Advent and Lent so that everyone can participate. We've started to do a little bit of this last year. Those are the times for us to come together and consider one another as a community. And after Easter, and I hope you'll be a part of it, because it's a couple of weeks after Easter, we're going to commit again to being in a study together. The good and beautiful community. Rather than all year long, a couple of moments where we can come together all ages and we're going to structure those things where it's not just to one group or another, but all of us can participate in that together. And going back to our evangelistic and missional efforts, those are intergenerational opportunities. We just don't need to send our high school group down to Miracle Ranch. Why don't we send an intergenerational team down? Nothing builds relationship more than grandparents and parents, single people, married couples, younger kids working together. Habitat for Humanity, Miracle Ranch, Good News Ministry, these are opportunities where we don't have to be divided by our generations. We can come together and not only build relationship, but also be evangelistic and missional. And that's what we're going to be about this year. The last thing that the writer of the letter of the Hebrews puts in this section is this three... <laughs> Three-step charge. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds, he writes. We're to spur one another on. We're not giving up to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. We're to encourage one another, he writes. Beloved, we're not just called to be together. We're called not just to serve together. The writer wants us to understand we're called to spur each other on, to stir one another up. And that means... We're called to incite one another, to provoke one another, to stimulate one another. The word is accountability. We're called to hold each other accountable. Why is this needed? Why do we need to hold each other accountable? Because, beloved, sometimes there's things in our lives, collectively, individually, there are things in our relationship with Jesus that are sitting still, that are stuck, that are not going anywhere. Other things, maybe even good things, Crowd out the better things in our lives. Priorities get shifted. Decisions get made. And commitments change. And that before you know it, comfort and complacency settle in. You know, recently, and I want to credit Connie Randall and a, a, a group of people, took the initiative to call people who've been a part of Grace since, what, 2005? 2005? People who are not, we don't see anymore. To call and to see where they are. How are they doing? Do you know what was shocking to me and broke my heart and I think is back a reflection on us and we need to live into that sense of accountability is how many people we called who in the midst of appreciating the call are not worshiping anywhere. I can understand going to another church if you're called somewhere else, but the majority of people were no longer a part of our community but weren't going anywhere else. These are people I would guess that many of you, you've been here longer than me, know. And maybe you see them in other places, but have you said to them, and maybe you have, but you haven't pushed beyond a certain point, we missed you. We need you. And that phone call, that's what the feedback we got of, I appreciate that call, I'm going to come back. And again, accountability in a Christian sense is not a guilt or shame fest. We didn't call people up to go, hey, where the heck are you? <laughs> and I'm not asking you to go to those people and say, hey, where you been? Boy, we've noticed your absence. It's not a guilt or shame fest. Accountability, you hear it here, the writer puts it, is about encouraging each other. It's speaking the promises of God to one another. It's sharing with each other the stories of how the Lord's at work in our lives. 
Those phone calls weren't guilt and shame. It was sharing about how the Lord's at work at grace. It's about speaking the promises of God. It's coming alongside and praying with each other. People were prayed for on those phone calls. And it doesn't have to be a phone call. You and I can do that. And all of this accountability, encouragement, encouraging accountability is to help people, help each other to hold on to that faith, to hold on to him who is faithful. And the writer says that we're to encourage and hold each other accountable towards love and good works. Again, that selfless concern, that costly affection, that goodwill towards each other, good works. We're called to hold each other accountable, not just to sentimental feelings, but to sacrificial action, to commitment. We know this, and we have to remind ourselves that a sense of belonging comes from being invited. A sense of belonging comes from being asked to commit and participate in what God is doing in our fellowship. But we don't just ask people to commit, and I'm not asking you to commit, to programs or projects. Hope is what I'm asking you to commit to. Because hope is experienced when we remind and encourage each other that we've been brought together for a reason. That we are here for a reason. That God is up to something greater than we can imagine. And we trust and when we obey, when everyone gets involved, when everyone plays a part, we get to experience it together. And you notice in this letter, and I think somehow we've lost it. We had it, you know, when we thought that May 21st was the day. <laughs> that the writer puts in here that the reason why we need to be, have this orientation as a, and, and build on this foundation is because the day is drawing near. Christ's return. We all want to get fixated on knowing the date, but the Bible again and again says, stop trying to worry about the date. No one's ever going to have it. The Bible says instead, know that Christ is coming and have a sense of expectation. And beloved, the reason why we need to hold each other accountable is because in, in generations to generation, this doesn't change. More and more, the stress, the trouble, the dangers in our world seem to increase. And the one thing we do know is those are signs of his return. And in the midst of those stresses, those troubles, and those dangers... We are called to gather together because a day of gathering intensity means a greater need for us being and holding each other together. It's the encouragement of one another that keeps us going. We need each other so that we hold on, so that we stay focused, so that we're expectant, so that we're ready, so that we put that love and good deeds into action, so that others wake up and realize the times that we are in. And how we're called to live this out at Grace is something you've heard before, small groups. And some of you are in small groups, some of you are not. Sunday's prime time. It's important and it's a vital first step that we come together to, and meet together, as you heard, on Sunday morning. But an hour and a half a week is not enough to encourage each other. It's not enough to hold on to that hope. Even hanging around for a few extra minutes for coffee and donuts is not enough. Small groups, something more reciprocal, something more intimate, something more transparent is what the Bible is calling us to. It provides the opportunity for us to hold on to our edge, to be in the word, to pray and to be prayed for, to share life together. And you can't do that any other way than by coming together in that kind of environment. Now, many of you are in small groups already, but here's the thing, and I don't mean to offend. Some of you have been in the same small group for 10 to 20 years. And that's awesome. It's great that you've built relationships that have lasted that long. But late-breaking newsflash, the church has changed a lot in 10 or 20 years. And as you are not changing, there are people who are here who, again, this is where we get divided again. Broaden your circle. Open your group. And there are others who, well, I just don't have time for that. 
And if you just don't have time for that, you're going to reach a rut in your relationship with Christ. You're not, you're going to find, you're going to find yourself complacent and comfortable and the next thing you know, we'll be calling you up and saying, hey, where you been? Alpha. We have a great Bible study here, Disciple. Curcio, a great opportunity, an, ex- an intensive week-long retreat. Curcio's got some, a bad rap among some because there's secrecy. I'll tell you all the surprises. Just ask me. I'll tell you everything you want to know. <laughs> Curcio is about building leadership. All three of those, though, Alpha, Disciple, and Curcio, which you're going to hear a lot about at Grace over this next year. It's kind of like if you're new here, we want you to go through Alpha at some point. We want you to be a part of Disciple for at least a year. And at some point, we want you to get sponsored for Curcio. But the interesting thing about all three of these opportunities to grow in your faith is they all emphasize small groups. They all emphasize you've got to be in a group with other people who are spurring you on, who are encouraging you towards love and good deeds. All right, I've given you the broad, broad pain stroke. Here's three specific goals for 2011, 2012. And these three specific goals, which I'd like you to write down, if you don't mind, are for participants at Grace. Notice I'm not saying members, because not everybody's a member, and membership's not a biblical concept. Participants. And what do I mean by participants? These goals that I'm going to give you are for participants. They are for people who are called here. Some of you this morning are new to Grace. You're figuring out if you're called here. Some of you have been away for a while and you're figuring out if God is calling you back to grace. I'm not talking to you in terms of these goals because you're still in a place of discerning God's call. You're not a participant yet. You're an investigator. You're discerning. By participant, I mean those who are called. And before I give you the goals, I have to make this clarification. And I know that for some of you this is going to sting a little bit, but it's my pastoral duty. Bear with me. Participants are people who are called here. Beloved, commitment means and requires investment. We have been through a lot. We have gone through a lot, not just in this last year and a half, but over the last couple years here at Grace. And in the midst of going through a lot, we have some in our community who are not fully committed and yet believe they are participating. You cannot live in two worlds. I'm saying this to you pastorally. You cannot live in two worlds, one foot in and the other out. You can't be a part of one church, but also a part of another church. God calls us to be a part of the community he calls us to. We've been through a lot this last year, and we need to move forward. But part of what's making it challenging for us to move forward is that for some in our midst, they don't agree or like some of the things that have happened at Grace, and yet they don't want to lose the community, the friendships they have. And so they're in this awful limbo place of they're here, but they're not participating. We need to release them to find peace in the community that they're called to. We need to release them with our blessing. And not just the pastor, you with me need to release them. Because if we don't release them, it will simply become poisonous. Doesn't, it's not about personality, it's what's going to happen. You cannot live in two worlds. But if you're called here, you've got to settle in. And you've got to give us your time, you've got to give us your resources, and you've got to give us your energy. And if you're called here, why would you want to give us anything less? So for those who are participants, for those who, who are called, I want you to know before I give you these goals, you belong. We need you. Bring your passion, bring your hunger, bring your longing to go deeper and wider in your journey of faith with Christ. Be a part of Grace's future. And be a part of these three specific goals for next year. And here they are. Number one, 
Each participant here at Grace develops two relationships outside your circle. And by relationships, I don't mean acquaintances. I mean over this next year, you come to know in this community two people that are outside of your normal circle. And by know them, I mean you can tell me their life story. You can tell me about them. And the interesting thing about our community is, and I know I could poll all of you, because you, you all say it, and, and, I, and of course, I'm, again, I'm supposed to know everybody. You don't know, there are tons of people that come here that you don't know, right? You say it. Both services, if we got everybody together, there'd be people you wouldn't recognize. Choose two. Pray about it that you're going to get to know over this next year. That's goal number one. Each participant develops two relationships outside your circle. Let us consider one another, the author to the letter of the Hebrew says. Do it by two relationships outside your circle over the year. Number two, second goal, each participant, <laughs> each participant leads one person to Christ. If you're called here over this next year, can you lead one person to Christ? And now if you're panicking and you're starting to get into a cold sweat, what I mean by leading a person to Christ, it doesn't mean you save them. It means that over the course of the year, you're going to open yourself up to the Spirit and pray for one person that the Spirit puts upon your heart, someone you may not even know. You're going to build a relationship with that person, and through that prayer and relationship, you are going to invite and point that person to Christ and leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to get them to invite Christ into their lives. You simply have to hold their hand and point them. Can you, can each participant at Grace do that for one person? One person? That's goal number two. And goal number three is that each participant understands their call to grace. And your call to grace is knowing how to answer these two questions over the course of this year. Over the course of this year, can you answer, what's your focus for this year? Where is God calling you specifically to grow this year and how are you doing it? How are you going deeper in love with Jesus Christ? What's your focus this year? Where are you specifically trying to grow in your relationship with Christ? And number two, where are you serving? Where are you spurring and encouraging others on in their relationship? Now, the beauty of these three goals, and they're going to frustrate all the engineers in the room. These aren't goals. These aren't measurable. We have, we don't. You know what's beautiful about these goals? Is you can track them with me. These three goals that you've written down, if you're with me, participants, then throughout the year, you can go up to any person of grace and ask them to answer these questions. Who are your two relationships outside your circle? You can ask that to anybody here. Who are you leading to Christ? Who are you leading to Christ over this year? Who's God put on your heart that you're praying for? What's your focus this year? You can ask the other person sitting next to you that. Where are you seeking to go deeper in love with Jesus Christ? Where are you spurring and encouraging each other on? And if we not only commit to these goals, but commit to asking each other about these goals throughout this year. My gosh, can you imagine what would be accomplished? Can you imagine where we would be as a community? Doesn't seem like much. And it's, they're just goals unless we ask each other and hold them up in front of each other. Beloved, here it is, closing. If you're watching your clock, I see a couple of you going, oh my gosh. I didn't know how long this was going to take. Here's the thing. There are no quick fixes. No matter what anybody tells you, there are no quick fixes. There are no programs in a box. 
I don't care if you go to a Christian bookstore or you go to the church down the street. There are no programs in a box. Fads and fashions don't last. It's all about relationship. Relationship to God and Christ and relationship to each other. It's all about the sign of the cross. You can put all that other stuff away. It's all about the great commandment and the great commission. And beloved, I'm in. And I ask you to be in for the long haul because as the writer reminds us, the one who we are following is faithful. Be in for the long haul because the day is approaching, the day of his return. Be in because the future is bright. The opportunities are many. The potential is great and the time is now. And let us just say at the outset, even a year from now with the goals we put in there, and I know this and I'm excited by it, that the goals that I've put out there for all of us, the outcome of these goals may be different than we anticipate. But the results will never be in doubt if Jesus is at the center of our plans and our hopes. Amen? I invite you to be a part of the foundation that God is building on here at Grace. Amen.